Now, when I started this class, and today has no structure, we can answer, ask and answer questions. Uh, well, at least you can ask them. When I started this class, we, we gave some illustrations of great evil in this world. We talked about a little Jewish girl named Zosia, if you remember. A horrible story, I'm not going to tell it again. We talked about, of course, the Holocaust. You always go there when you use these, but far more people were killed uh, by Stalin and the, um, the horrible 20 million plus is an estimate of his own people he killed. There have been wars. I, uh, again, I'm, I'm not a pacifist, but you can't call me pro-war by any stretch because war is just too indiscriminate. We just passed the anniversary of the, the dropping of the atomic bombs. And while I understand the military arguments for and against, I do, and I'm not trying to make one, we need to at least acknowledge that when the bomb fell on Nagasaki, 70,000 non-combatants were killed. So now we back up. Regardless of what you think about its military necessity, that's not the question. I will not go there. The question is, did God decide to drop the bomb? And did God decide who was going to be in and out of town when that bomb hit? Think of the fall of the, uh, the Twin Towers. How many times I've heard people say, and I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but they'll say, God saved me that day because I was late. I was supposed to be in the tower, but I was late that day. And while I acknowledge that God might have done that, because God can do what he jolly well wants to, and he doesn't have to check with me. It, I do wonder, well, why didn't he stop the others? What, what are you saying? We need to be careful with our words. Um, I do not believe, you know, dear Sherry, and I, I heard about that traffic accident. Uh, if you didn't hear, she's okay, but banged up. Uh, pretty banged up from all this, but she's, she's going to be fine from what I'm told. But think about it. Can we say that God planned that accident? Calvinism, in its strictest sense, says yes, that everything in this is part of God's glorious plan. Now, not only do I have a problem with that theologically, I have a problem with it scientifically. Because I have to ask, what in God's marvelous plan is the mosquito doing? I don't know if you're aware of this or not. We've not yet found a benefit to the mosquito. We don't say, oh, you know, gives you all kinds of, you know, like yellow fever, but cures polio. No, we got nothing for it. There are other animals out there, other beasties, that we cannot find any good in what's going on there. They may have branched off from the insect world somehow and gone awry. Who knows? And again, tomorrow we could find out that it cures your Scottish accents, I don't know. <laughs> My point is this. I don't think God's given us permission to say that everything that happens, he planned. And so we talked about change today and hinge points. Greatest hinge point of history, other than let there be light perhaps, and even then I would argue, is Jesus raising from the dead. That changed everything. That's a hinge point right there. Did God plan everything? And I think most of us are not Calvinist, but we run to that for comfort sometimes. 
We prayed and we prayed and we prayed for our little grandson to be born healthy and our daughter, my princess, to be fine. And the boy is wonderful and so is Kara. And so we rejoice in the Lord. But I know because I've been a minister for quite a while that had something gone wrong and we were having a funeral today, somebody would come up to me and say something to the effect of, well, God needed another angel. Or that God's got a great plan in this somehow. Remember what I've told you. I believe God can use anything. I don't believe that means he caused it. There's a difference. And I also stress something else. Saying that God doesn't plan everything does not mean that God cannot determine what he's going to do. Do you remember? We just read Zephaniah and Haggai where he said, I'm going to end Nineveh. That's not going to come back. He, he can decide what he's going to do. And he did. But that doesn't mean he's decided everything we're going to do before we're born. I will tell you, as I've said before, I believe, in Scotland, John Calvin brought, um, uh, I'm sorry, John Knox brought Calvinism to Scotland. And it became the, the national church, the, the state religion. The Church of Scotland is Presbyterian. And while it is not so much Calvinist anymore, because they changed, it was strictly Calvinistic. And it killed religion. Because if you're going, you're going. If you're not, you're not. And there's not a thing you can do about it. Predestination. Now, there is a phrase in the Bible, you know, those he predestined. I believe that what Peter was talking about there, if you look at it in the context, is that God determined before you were born to love you and give you a chance at salvation. He predestined all of us to this. That's where he wants us to be. But I do not read that passage to see, to, uh, to indicate that God is deciding who goes and who doesn't. Because our Bible also says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I hope while we've gone through all of this, that you've seen, I know you've seen some of your comfort go away, but I hope you've also seen a renewed excitement at the chance to actually do things with God. That your prayers matter. They change things. They may not change everything you want the way you want them changed, but God hears them, takes them under advisement, and things can happen. Remember I talked to you about, instead of looking upon it as God on a throne issuing edicts to us, if you read scripture, it's more of a God walking with us in a dance. And sometimes he even lets us lead. Think about Jesus. One of my favorite stories. Bartimaeus is off to the side. He's a blind beggar. Why we even know his name is just, that's, that's amazing. Beggars had no status in the first century. Couldn't even go to the temple. A blind guy. And yet, we're given his name. Because uh, God wanted us to know who he was. And he goes, Bartimaeus calls out, Son of David, have mercy on us, uh, on me. Jesus stops what he's doing, walks over to him. Think about this. Almighty God stops what he's doing and walks over to a beggar. If you don't get chills thinking about some of this, you're not thinking. And then ask the beggar, what would you like me to do? Whoa. 
you know, do not default to Miss America answers at this stage. Uh, world peace and feed the orphans in some country I've never heard of. Don't do that. And Bartimaeus did, and he said, Lord, if I could see. And I love the way that's phrased. He didn't say, make me see. It was more like, well, if anything's possible, I'd love to be able to see. And Jesus goes, okay, to dance. And sometimes he lets us lead. Where do you want to go? I'm the dad. I'm the patriarch of our family. Mainly because through tragic circumstances, my own father won't, you know, won't take that role. So it, it, I'm the old guy. And so whenever they all come to my house, what do I tell them to do? Nothing. I say, where would you like to go? What would you like to see? Let's work together on this. Now, I've, I've given a prologue here, but there were questions that people had. And I don't want you to walk out of here in 20 minutes without your questions at least being asked. Do you have questions about this? Does any of this bother you? Over here. Yes. See, this side gets it. I don't... Anyway. Yeah. How, how do the laws of nature All right, I'm going to repeat his question, but first of all, I've got to tell you, that was, that was dead solid brilliant. That's a great question. Um, he talks about how do the laws of nature factor into this? Make sure I, I say it correctly. Uh, when we make a mistake, sometimes we can be injured. There are consequences to actions. How does that play into all of this? God never, ever, that I can see, promises to save us from the effects of living in a physical world. In other words, if there's going to be a flood, he didn't promise to save you from it. Think of it. Philip Yancey wrote a book on prayer, and he made a very stark comment there that made me go, what? And so I went to look, and he's right. There is no record anywhere of anybody being cured of cystic fibrosis even with all the prayer in the world. Nobody ever has ever gotten over it or it had to go into remission. It has always been fatal. God didn't say he would save you from everything, physically. We're so hung up on the physical because that's all we know, right? But he said, no, no, that's not it. Uh, Randy, I'm just going to tell you a really ugly story, all right? My wife and I were married. That's not the ugly bit. Um, and we had to work for about two years in Norfolk, Virginia, to get our funds together to go back to Scotland to live. And so that's a very Navy town, um, Norfolk, Norfolk is. And I was doing some work there, and, uh, and we were part of a church. One of the sailors, wonderful young man, made a terrible mistake. He got drunk and ended up in the house of a young woman. She says he raped her. I don't doubt her. I don't, I'm not questioning her story. 
This young man was a good guy, but he had made a horrible error. He had. He actually pled guilty. He said, I don't remember, but I don't doubt it. I think he probably should have you know, said, what do they say, nolo contendere? Is that in America? Yeah, right, okay, thanks. I'm not, I'm not disputing. But um, what do you do? Because this young man had been in our home. Big guy. I can see how she would have been terrified for him to be in their house. We went to court and sat every, every day during the trial. It was only a week long, if that. Then the sentencing time came, and I, with many others, went up to testify as to his character. But every one of us told the judge, we said, we're aware somebody was injured and that there has to be a penalty. We have forgiven him. He has asked for forgiveness from her and from everybody with bitter tears. We've forgiven him, but we understand that the state has consequences. All we can do is tell you, judge, when he leaves prison, we'll be here for him. And he got what I thought was a comparatively light sentence. It was still years and years. Could have been worse. My point is, we didn't try to save him from the consequences. One of the worst things you can do to your kids is save them from consequences, isn't it? Do their homework for them. Uh, do something for them. You know, they didn't change the oil in the car, so you did. No, no, no. Let it seize. Let them not have a car. They have to learn consequences. This world has consequences. And C.S. Lewis actually tied the two together. He said, you do not break the laws of God. They break you. And he uses an illustration, the laws of nature. He says, you don't break the laws of nature. You try to break the law of gravity, it'll break you. Now, I'm going to expand on this, and you can tell me if I'm hitting in your neighborhood. One of the most horrific incidences of our day, and that's saying a lot. I, this, this week, 19 young women had their throats cut because they refused to become sexual slaves of ISIS. And the people videoed it and laughed as they did it. That's going on every day now. The thing I'm talking about is a natural, though, the tsunami that hit Indonesia. Oh, my goodness. We live on a planet that has broken plates that slip. God never said he would protect us from these things, ever. Uh, there's an old English poet who wrote that God tempers the chill wind for the shorn lamb, which means God makes sure that the wind doesn't blow too hard on the sheep that have been shorn. No, what? No, I've seen sheep frozen to the ground. I'm thinking the, the sheep's over there going, that stupid poet, you know. Um, <laughs> God, I believe, has intervened. I, I believe there were stories of God's salvation during the tsunami. And there's a Christian orphanage that just happened to be out of town that day when they were supposed to be back, but the buses broke down. I'm going, yay God. But God never promised to save us from this. And so I think 
as I've told one woman who came up to me who believed the devil was after her, I believe in the devil, I believe he can go after you. But she believed it because her roof was leaking and the, the um, water heater had gone out and this, that, and the other. And so I said, maybe. Maybe the devil's involved here. But I have some questions. How old was the roof? It was 20-some years old. How old was the water heater? Don't know. It was here when we bought the house 20 years ago. Might not be the devil. Might be nature. Does that help? Did I hit? Okay. You had your hand up. I'm sorry, the warfare. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's, that's an excellent question. Um, why is Satan still fighting when he knows, according to Scripture, he's going to lose? Why, uh, why is God, and I mean, I, wanna, I don't want to say that, what is, are you asking, also, it is, what does God have to lose? Right. Yes. All right. What does God have to lose in a battle since he is God and victorious and the like and um, he has you to lose, his children, and every one of them is precious. If you were to ask me which one of my two kids is my favorite, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I know, but I couldn't, no, no, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you, right? Which one of my, my grandkids is my favorite? No, I, you know, they're all so different, you know? God, you know, which one of your kids are you willing to lose? God's fighting for you. Now, a question which is allied to what you're saying, and I'm, I'm, I want to make sure I get your question as well, is um, why didn't God just kill the devil? The ancient church gave us the formula in one of the creedal, creedal prayers, really, that our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. You need to remember that the devil's not behind all bad things. Most of them we can do on our own, Right? I don't need the devil to um, encourage me to go into debt. The world encourages that all the time. I don't need the world to encourage me to gluttony. American portions do that. It arrives, you're going, seriously? And before they even do that, they'll say, would you like an appetizer? Which you don't get in other countries, by the way. What that is is food to get you in the mood to eat food. Okay. Would you like dessert? And whenever, you, whenever you're asking for a box to take things home, they're still saying, would you like dessert? Well, why don't you just shoot me? You know, that's, uh, you're trying. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, do, you need, do you need the devil to help you lust? <laughs> you're frozen. You're not going to move. I don't need his help. I'm a raging heterosexual. I really am. I flaunt. I flaunt it. <laughs> if, if there was a hetero pride day, I'm there. 
I, I find women fascinating. Now, I don't stare at them lustfully. I just find them fascinating. I think that they're brilliant and wise, and the way they see things and think of things, I think that's amazing. I, I see a bed. My wife obviously sees a huge pillow jingle puzzle that has to be put together appropriately. You know, I, okay, fair enough. I will learn her system. Uh, but every so often, my hormones, which I don't have that much of anymore, fair enough, uh, my hormones will cause me to go down a path that I need to yank myself back from. All right? If you've not had preachers tell you about this, every preacher's had this problem. They're just not telling you. All right? Number two reason why ministers in the Protestant world leave the pulpit is adultery. So it, uh, you, you'd better be upfront and honest about it so that things you can protect yourself from it. Because, by the way, if you're thinking, well, most of the preachers you've seen, you're not sure what the attraction is. Fair enough. The point I'm trying to get to is that when women see a preacher, all they're seeing is his best side. And so they, they, they become enamored with something that doesn't really exist. Um, I don't need the devil to help me fall that way. The devil, however, can get in under my skin sometimes. And I'm aware, all right, this is, there are how can I put this? I have never yet, ever, correctly guessed how the devil was going to attack my churches. Never. I have always strengthened the wrong doors. And then looked behind me and gone, oh, wasn't expecting that. So I do believe that there's warfare there. Now, why doesn't God just kill him? Well, that wouldn't end evil, for one. There, if you saw the brilliant movie Interstellar, which if you didn't see it, you need to see it. Um, there are some very deep religious themes in there that they do not come out and say, but you get there. And they talk about going to a new world where there isn't evil, and the response after a while is, we brought it with us. We brought the evil. So killing the devil wouldn't end evil. So why is the devil still fighting? All right. Have a good look at this wee man standing in front of you. I still try to expand the kingdom, even though almost every day I fail far more than I win. In other words, far more people are not interested than are interested. Why do I keep fighting? Because I think it's important. What if this wee man is in his bed at night and somebody kicks in the door? Big guys come in to rob and kill. Will I fight back? Not so as they'd notice, but yes. <laughs> yes. I'd be all over, ah, ah, and they'd be going, is there a fly? You know, even knowing I'm dying, would I still fight? Yes. I think you've answered your question about the double. Also, guys, I could have this all wrong, so underline this one in red. If I understand correctly, God will come back when we've reached everybody with the gospel. If he can delay his death... 
he's going to try to delay it. I mean, we do, even if we have to be in a bed with 15 hoses in us pumping in life stuff. We want to stay alive one more day. So is he. And an animal that knows it's dying will still bite you. It'll still go after you. Now, what does God have to lose? Us. What does the devil have to lose? Going into the fire before he, want, before he absolutely has to. Why doesn't God kill him? Not only would that not end evil, I've got one more idea. I think God loves him too. And I know that that's, I've never read that in a theology book. Let's be honest, I don't read theology that much. There's quantum physics out there. Why would you want, anyway. Um, I've never read that, but God being love would indicate to me he's just not out there killing um, like we often paint him to be. Was your hand going up? Yes. By the way, did I get, was I in, even in the ballpark of where you were? Okay. We can, we can come back to this. Yes. If, if we are sealed in the Spirit, I know we can quench it and remove the seal. Excellent question. If we are sealed in the Spirit, we can quench the Spirit. Can we remove it? The Bible does talk about people who are fallen from grace. Uh, if I'm reading Scripture correctly, and the F is always out there, the ones in Scripture that were treated as if they had lost their salvation were those that were in uh, consistent, non-repentant sexual immorality, the guy that married his mother. Um, this is not somebody making a mistake. This is not somebody making 20 mistakes. This is somebody in open rebellion against God sexually. Those that deny Jesus is the Christ. And there are people who've been baptized into Christ who later deny it. Um, and then the third, which most people don't see coming, is actually the most common, and that is the heretic. Heretic doesn't mean you believe something false. Heretic meant divider. You divide people. You split people. So it's not what you believe, it's what you do with what you believe. All right? And so that divisive individual. Now, so can you lose your salvation? I believe you can, but I don't believe that that's God's decision. I believe that that is a conscious decision. And he talks about no one will snatch them out of my hand. I do believe you can walk out if you choose to. All right. Was there a hand up? Yes, Topper. That's, wow, um, that's, that's an amazing question. It's been on my heart as well. Topper's asking, I've mentioned several things that are offensive. Mainly, in recent weeks, I have just been incensed and outraged at the sell of baby parts and at the butchery of children, just the same as Moloch, but now it's Planned Parenthood, which you're paying for, half a billion dollars in taxes. Uh, you have no choice. What do you do? 
there are several, there are, there are different ways to attack the problem. One is that you can write all of the, those that are campaigning and say, you need to know something. If you support this, if you are not dedicated to ending it, then I will have nothing to do with you. I will not vote for you if the person running against you is Hitler. I will just step away. Because all you're talking about is evil and evil, just matters of degree. I'm not going to go for a lesser evil. That's why some Christians won't even vote. But I would write those letters. I would also go on the other end. We've got to talk to our people who are walking in there and killing their babies. That there's a place for these babies. These babies are loved, that they are loved. There's a sweet movie. It's probably 10 years old now, but I bet you could get it on Netflix or Hulu or something. Um, called Juno. And in Juno, there is no God in Juno. They, they don't talk about religious things, but a young girl finds herself pregnant. And it's not a spoiler alert. She goes to the abortion place, and it is so casual and so that she walks out and decides to keep the baby. I used to take that movie with me when I'd go around working with churches, show clips of it, and ask, is this the kind of church that Juno would come to. If not, you will not survive. Because the world out there is making all their decisions without God. So we've got to work at it from that end. I, and you can disagree with me, and you may be correctly, absolutely right. I do not have any interest in protesting a clinic. I will not go out there with signs and wave them and yell at the people going in and out. To me, that's too late. I got to get into those young girls' lives before they make the babies and decide to go to the clinic. So Franktown, that's why this is so desperately important. You get to them before the babies are made. You get to them uh, in these ministries we're doing before the mistakes are made. And you show them love and you support Christian uh, we don't have children's orphans' homes anymore. And by the way, if you did, the state's about to end those anyway. So because of our laws about sexuality and such. So what you do is you support adoption agencies that still exist. You also adopt. One lady, and I won't mention names because it gets political too quick. She's a political commentator. And one of the Planned Parenthood people decided just to go after her on Twitter and said, so you're, you, wanna, you, you love all these babies so much, how many of you adopted? She thought she'd scored a hit. The commentator who's never talked about this in public tweeted back, thanks for asking, one. His name is Sam, he's nine years old, he has Downs, and I love him. Boom. What if all Christians could say that? We've, we've taken them in. We feed them. We love them. We'll educate them. We got to work on that end because we haven't. Not as well as we could have. But on the political end, I have no problems with you writing letters and using your money to decide who gets what. Why not? Uh, I just don't know how effective it is when somebody else can give them, uh, you know, two million. They're not going to miss my 25. So... Those things we can do. Um, 
my time is up, but if anybody else has any other suggestions, I think Topper's question is fair and good for a sermon. We've got to find some way to affect societal change so that more than 40% of our people don't think that this is okay. All right. By the way, sermons won't do it. I've had people say, you ought to preach sermons against it. Sermons won't do it. They're not in here. We've got to find a way out there. All right. Yes, Albert. Um, if, I, if I'm understanding what you're saying, Albert, I'm in complete agreement that the devil tries to destroy, he tempts us to destroy our faith that, uh, and God tests us to strengthen our faith. When, yeah, um, and let's, if you, if you think, by the way, that that's just being an easy way out, saying, well, you know, tempting, testing. No, it's a very different. When you test somebody, you're not hoping they fail. You're hoping to show them strengths they didn't think they had. The first time my son went out of a helicopter, he didn't know he could do that. He had a sergeant who told him not only could he, he was going to. (laughs) Right? And he learned something. He actually learned he loved fast roping out of helicopters. I said, how did you find that out? He said, about halfway down. Uh... (laughs) And so, uh, again, the whole point here is he was being, the, the sergeant didn't want him to fail. He wanted him to succeed, but he had to be tested. God allows tests in our lives. He does. But if you don't, um, all right, I'll, I'll end with this. If you see somebody at the, at, the, at the gym pushing all kinds of weights, they're not a seal. Navy SEALs believe that the best way to build muscle is resistance of their own body. That's why they do the push-ups, the sit-ups. They're moving their own body. They believe resistance, pushing resistance, that without the challenge, you don't grow. That's why that famous saying that they have, pain is just weakness leaving the body. They're, They're not trying All right, if you don't know this, they have a bell at Coronado where the SEALs are trained. Anytime, day or night, any one of those trainees can go over and ring the bell. They are out. They are returned back to their unit, and nobody makes fun of them. Nobody. They are treated with respect the entire time. There's no shame in ringing the bell. But if you ring the bell, you never come back in. Now, was that put there to tempt them? No, it was put there to test them, to show them that they could still, one more day, not ring that bell. So don't give up. Don't ring the bell. Thank you. Our bell rang seven minutes ago. (laughs) Flee! Flee!